Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Robin. I'm one of the pastors here. And this morning, we continue our series on God's vision for the local church. And we've considered questions like, what is the church? And what is the mission of the church? And we've also looked at what should our priorities be when we gather together to worship? And last week, Pastor Brandon talked about how the church shares life and practices that should guide our relationships. But before we jump into the passage that Brandon just read, I want you to know that today is a big day for me. On this day, 34 years ago, I married my wife, Catherine. And there we are on our wedding day. Isn't she as beautiful today as what she was in that picture? We were married at the Booney Free Church. And hey, if there's enough votes, I may even grow back the mustache. <laughs> Come on, we'll bring it on. You know, when you see Catherine, you can ask her, how in the world did you put up with that guy for 34 years? She has been a wonderful gift, a wonderful wife, a wonderful mother, and now a grandmother, and I'm grateful for her. But getting married to Catherine was the second best decision that I've made. Do you want to know the best decision I've made? It's when I was 18 years old and a freshman in college. I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. There was another student named John, and we were friends, and one day he said, why don't you come up to my dorm room? I'd like to talk to you about something. So I went up to his dorm room, and John had a Bible with him. And he said, Robin, I want you to know I'm a Christian. And Jesus Christ has changed my life. And then he shared from the Bible how I could know God and how I could have my sins forgiven. And I knew that's what I needed. That's what I wanted. So right there in that dorm room, I prayed. And I asked God to forgive me and take control of my life. I didn't see any angels. I didn't hear any bells ringing. But what I knew I had just done was right. And John encouraged me to begin reading the Bible. And he suggested that I start with the Gospel of John. So I did. And I enjoyed what I read, so I just kept going. The next book... This is the book of Acts. And I had never read anything like that before. The book of Acts is a history of the early church. And it's a history of the mission of the church and how the church was exploding with growth. I was blown away when I read that. 
And I was also blown away that one of the reasons the early church grew so quickly was because of something called spiritual multiplication. And we'll talk more about that as we go on. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave his disciples one final command. And he said, go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. And that command is commonly called the Great Commission. And you realize that we are here today because they obeyed that final command? They went out and they made disciples who made disciples. Now, throughout Jesus' ministry, he lived like a multiplier. And there's a paraphrase of that final command that I'd like to read to you. And this is what it is. Guys, what I've done with you for the last three years, I want you to repeat in the same way over and over and over again. Starting right now, as you go about your lives, do with others exactly what I did with you. Help them do it with others without ever stopping. And when you tell others about me, some will believe and they'll follow me. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Be sure to pull them close, just like I did with you, and show them how to love God, love people, and make disciples until every ethnic group in the world has disciples who are making more disciples. As you live my disciple-making way of life, you can have full assurance of my presence, my power, my provision, for I am with you always. Hallelujah. That is a wonderful promise God gives to each one of us. The King of glory entrusted his worldwide mission to a handful of men, and they went out and fulfilled that mission. And we are here today because of that. And the book of Acts picks up right where the four Gospels left off. But it also shows the power source needed to make disciples. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Acts describes in a beautiful way how the Spirit of God empowers God's people to boldly share God's word. And as a result, 
the church didn't just grow, it exploded. It multiplied. Acts 6-7 says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. Acts 12-24 says, But the word of God increased and multiplied. My hope this morning is you will see Christ sent his church into the world so his followers would multiply through the power of the gospel. That is God's strategy for church growth. And it has not changed in over 2,000 years. Jesus sends his church, and that's all of us, into the world with one primary mission, make disciples of Christ. Now, we may be doing a lot of good things, but if we're not sharing the gospel and making disciples, we are failing in our mission. Now, if you're not familiar with the gospel, it's the good news that we believe and receive Jesus Christ as the one who paid the penalty for our sin, and then we're adopted into his family. And here at Stonebridge, we are a gospel-driven church because we want people to know what God has done for them, and that's why we share the gospel with them. The world we live in today is a very challenging world. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of uncertainty. The best way we can prepare to live in our world today is to know, to live, and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you have any questions about the gospel, please reach out to someone who can help you know what it means to embrace the gospel. Now, the term spiritual multiplication, that may be a new term to you. And the passage today is helpful because it provides both the process and the power of spiritual multiplication. And when Paul writes this letter to Timothy, he's in prison in Rome. And soon, Emperor Nero will order him to be beheaded. And Paul knows that his time on this earth is short. So he instructs his child in the faith, Timothy, make sure you pass on the gospel so that the next generation can hear and be impacted. And when I think of my own life, there are many people who passed on to me what they knew about God. I think of my parents, my Sunday school teachers, my high school tennis coach, my friend Betsy, my high school English teacher, and John, my spiritual father. All of them 
all of them in different ways passed on God's word to me. And I'd like to share a story with you about my high school English teacher. Her name's Mrs. Daywalt. She stood about right here. I called her the little general. Affectionately, she had command of that high school English class. And you know, one summer a few years ago, I decided I'm going to go back. I'm going to meet with people that helped me on my journey with Christ. I'm going to say thank you. And she was one of them. The way that she helped me was she's a high school English teacher, and she gave as the big assignment for the year that we had to pick a verse from the Bible or a passage from the Bible and write a term paper on it and then give a speech. Now, I went to a large public high school, and she said, the Bible's literature, this is an English literature class, so we're going to dig into the Bible. So I picked, and I don't know why, Job 14.14, which says, if a man dies, will he live again? And I wrote a paper on that. And then I stood before my high school English class and gave a speech on Job 14.14. So I know God has a sense of humor because the first sermon I gave, I wasn't even a believer. I didn't even believe. And yet I was talking about, if a man dies, shall he live again? Mrs. Daywalt modeled to me through her life mostly, what it means to be a follower of Christ. I'd like for you to think of someone who shared with you what they knew about God. What was it they said? What was it they did that helped you? Do you think you can do the same thing with someone else? Spiritual multiplication is not something that's done only by the paid professionals. We all are to be involved in sharing God's word with others. And that's why it's important to know this book. Because if you do not know the Bible, you cannot effectively pass it on. You know, from the time of creation... Multiplication has been part of God's plan in both the physical and the spiritual realm. In Genesis, God commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. Jesus' mission was not to reach the world, but to make disciples who would go out and reach the world. What drove his ministry was investing in a few who would lead the church after his death and resurrection. Now, spiritual multiplication doesn't happen as a result of a particular program or a certain curriculum. It happens when God's people faithfully proclaim the good news of the gospel. And one of the evidences that you've been regenerated by God's Spirit is you are joyfully obsessed with the gospel. 
you know it changes everything. Therefore, you want to pass it on to others so they can experience the joy of believing. Psalm 107.2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. Paul says, Him, meaning Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all the energy that powerfully works within me. So the power of spiritual multiplication is found in proclaiming the gospel. The process of spiritual multiplication happens when God's people pass on what they know about God and his word to other people. That's when the church grows in numbers and in impact. Well, let's look again at verse 2. Paul writes to Timothy, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, we have four generations represented in this one verse. And you can see, this is a picture of spiritual multiplication. Paul taught Timothy. Timothy entrusted to faithful men who then passed on to others. And that's how spiritual multiplication happens. You know, on Friday afternoon, we held a celebration of life service for Mike Merritt. Many of you knew Mike. I knew Mike for 45 years. And he was one of the best examples I know of someone who lived out this verse. Mike faithfully passed on the gospel to others. And only eternity will reveal how many lives were impacted because Mike was willing to teach others what he had been taught. Let's continue to pray for Mike's wife, Norma, your children, Alicia and Eric. What an example Mike set for us. The process of spiritual multiplication is similar to a relay race. I think we all know in a relay race, you have a baton, something like this, that gets passed on to a runner. And I have this baton in my office, and it's got the verse 2 Timothy 2.2. Because it reminds me my job is to pass on to others what I've been taught. And I think we've all watched relay races where in the trying to pass it off, it gets dropped. And that's so sad to see because that team's disqualified. The same thing happens with spiritual multiplication. 
If we keep the baton to ourselves or we drop it, it doesn't happen. Let's look again at verse 2. Paul gives Timothy instructions what to look for when you pass on the baton. And the first quality is faithfulness. I think it's interesting that Paul didn't say, I want you to look for the strong men. I want you to look for the popular men. I want you to look for the smart men. No. He said, look for the faithful men because that demonstrates character. And then he went on and said, and also look for the men who are able to teach others also. And that represents competency. So, when we go to pass on the baton, we look for character and we look for competency. Now, you may be thinking, I don't know that much about the Bible. Does that disqualify me? Well, that's a good question. And the answer is no. It does not disqualify you. You know, one of my all-time favorite stories in the Bible is found in John chapter 9. Sometime this afternoon, just read John chapter 9. The entire chapter describes how Jesus healed a man that was born blind. And that had never happened before. So it caused a big stir. And he also healed this man on the Sabbath, which upset the Pharisees. So the Pharisees, you remember the story, Jesus, he spit in the mud and he rubbed or the dirt on his guy's eyes and said, go wash. And when he did, he could see. Now, he had not even seen Jesus at this point. But he could see. So the Pharisees bring a man and say, hey, they pepper him with questions. And then in John 9, verse 25, they're asking him, well, we know this man Jesus is a sinner because he healed on the Sabbath, and that's wrong. What do you think? And the response of this man that had not even seen Jesus yet said, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. But one thing I do know, once I was blind and now I see. Isn't that great? It's okay to say, I don't know, if someone asks you a question about Jesus. That's okay. But make sure and circle back to what you do know. And this guy knew only one thing, and he's out sharing it. The only thing he knew. I know everybody here knows at least one thing about Jesus. So you are qualified to pass on what you know. Now, if you claim to be a follower of Christ and you have no desire to share him with others, something isn't right. My friend John would say, if your faith is worth having, your faith is worth sharing. And he taught me how to share my faith. I think we've got a picture of John. Here's John and I in front of the dorm where we lived a few years ago when I went to visit him. 
Every Wednesday night, when John and I were in college, every Wednesday night we'd go out and share in the dorm about Jesus. And we'd go walking down the hallways. We'd kind of peek. The door needed to be open. We'd kind of peek in the room, preferably one guy maybe sitting at his desk. And then we knock on the door. Say, hi, my name's Robin. This is John. We're going around getting guys' opinions on Christianity. Wanted to know if you had any opinions. People usually are more than willing to share their opinions about anything, including Christianity. So if we would get, if they'd say no, we'd say, okay, thanks. Keep on going. If they would say yes, we'd go in. And if the conversation, they were interested, one of us would share our story of how God had changed our life then the other would share the gospel. And it just was amazing. One of the best things that caused me to grow because my prayer life increased. I want to know the Bible more so I can answer questions. But John taught me how to share my faith. Paul goes on, and he gives us the pattern for spiritual multiplication. But then he says this, which I find very interesting in verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Isn't it interesting Paul brings up suffering in the context of passing on our faith? What was it that got Paul beat up and locked up? You know? He couldn't stop talking about Jesus. He was always sharing his faith. And as followers of Christ, we're to follow his example. This is what Paul said earlier in that same letter. And God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the good news. That is why I am suffering here in prison. But I'm not ashamed, for I know the one in whom I trust. And I am sure that he is able to guard what I've entrusted him until the day of his return. You know, when we share the gospel, we need to be prepared to suffer for the gospel. We're called to embrace not only the cause of disciple-making, but the cost of disciple making. And I know suffering is one of the hardest topics to get our mind around. Suffering's part of the human condition and it happens to all of us. And it's okay when you're suffering to ask God why. But the true test comes when God doesn't answer your question. What do you do then? The best thing you can do is to believe the truth and not your feelings because your feelings will lie to you. You know, sometimes God rescues us from suffering. Sometimes God rescues us through suffering. And it was through suffering that God revealed himself to me. And I wish we had the time where you could share your stories of how God used suffering in your life.
and maybe even today, you're going through a suffering. Believe truth about it and not just your feelings. Well, Paul continues after he talks about suffering with a call to action. And he uses the analogies of the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. And he says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. In each one of these analogies, they're so helpful because they give characteristics of a disciple of Christ. And the first characteristic is like a good soldier, a disciple endures hardship. Soldiers don't give up. Soldiers are not easily distracted from their mission. And here's Paul at the end of his life. He's not giving up. And he's not distracted from his mission. And he calls on Timothy to endure hardship like a good soldier. Next, Paul uses the analogy of an athlete who's competing for a prize. And Paul often used the illustration of sports, like running, boxing, wrestling, for illustrations. And here he tells Timothy, if you want to win the crown, you got to play by the rules that God has prescribed. Can you imagine a football game or a basketball game where everybody plays as not obeying the rules? It'd be total chaos. And how in the world would you know who won? You know, when I was in high school, sports was my idol. And I knew to perform well, I had to train hard. There were no shortcuts to success in sports. And the same is true with disciple-making. There is the temptation, though, to cut corners when making disciples and to find that quick program for mass-producing them. But disciples who make disciples cannot be mass-produced. It takes patience, and it takes hard work, which is why Paul next refers to the farmer, because farmers are diligent. They're hardworking, and they know once they plant the seeds, they must patiently wait and trust on God for the blessing of the harvest. In one of his letters, the Apostle John writes about the blessing that comes from sharing, sowing, and reaping. He writes, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. When we faithfully pass on the truth of God's word to other people, it brings overwhelming joy in this life and in the life to come. I can tell you a story about John that illustrates that. So for many, many years, I've been involved in a Thursday morning men's group. We meet from 6 to 7 every Thursday morning. 
we pray together, we care for one another, we study God's word together. It's always one of the highlights of my week. And when I knew I was going to visit John a few years back, I got the idea, I'm going to pass out a blank card to each one of these guys that's in that Thursday morning group. I'm going to invite them to write on that card words of appreciation to John. Because a lot of what I was teaching them, I learned from him. And just write, John, thanks. Thanks for investing in Robin. He's passing on what you've invested in his life. So I gave him all a blank card and an envelope. I said, write something on the card, put it in the envelope, seal the envelope, and write John on the outside of the envelope. So then when I went to visit John, I gave him a stack of cards, 20 cards. And he said, what's this? And I said, John, these are your spiritual grandchildren. And they are writing to you. And they are saying, thank you for investing in Robin and passing on what you knew to him. He was filled with overwhelming joy. And about a month later, when I called him just to check in, he said, oh, by the way, those cards you gave me, they're still on my desk. They're still on my desk. You know, my favorite book in the New Testament is the book of James because it's full of practical wisdom and James challenges us to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. In other words, information without application equals little transformation. We are called to practice God's word. And I'd like for us to consider now How can we do that from what we've just heard? And you may be here or you may be watching online and you're searching. You're on a spiritual journey. Maybe you're still trying to figure out if this Christianity is worth it. I encourage you to continue on your journey because what you discover will be worth it. Or you may be here and you've already surrendered your life to Christ and your desire is to follow him. Regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, I'm going to ask you to do something. The one thing I'm asking you to do is to pray. And I realize for some, prayer may be a new thing. You don't understand how it works and that's okay. I don't understand how electricity works. But I know when I flip that light switch, something always happens. The light dispels the darkness. The same thing is true with prayer. So if you're exploring Christianity, I encourage you to pray and to ask God to reveal himself to you. Now, I know that's a bold prayer, and it takes courage to pray it. And you could say something like, God, if you're really real, reveal yourself to me. And one of the ways God reveals himself is through the Bible. 
So you may want to do what I did when John encouraged me to start reading the Gospel of John. You know, another thing you might pray is, God, would you bring someone into my life that can help me take my next step with Jesus? For those of you who have surrendered your life to Christ, I'm also encouraging you to pray. Ask God to help you to pass on what you know was someone else. If your faith's worth having, your faith's worth sharing. It could be a non-believer. You help them take their next step with Jesus. It could be a new believer. You're helping them to get established in their faith. It could be that you teach someone how to share their faith, just like John shared with me how to share my faith. Whatever it is, pray with expectation and then see what God will do. My prayer for Stonebridge Church is that we will faithfully pass on the baton to the next generation just like Paul and Timothy did. And I know many of you are already doing that right now. And it's so encouraging to see. You know, and it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how much you know about the Bible. What matters is your willingness to pass it on. And when we do that, we can and we will impact the next generation. Let's pray and ask God's help to do that. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you first for those individuals that passed on what they knew about you to me. What a blessing. Then, Lord, I know all of us here, maybe even right now, can think of one person, something they said, something they did, that passed on to them the gospel, the good news. Lord, help us as we fulfill the mission that you have given us to go make disciples, pass on what we've been taught, and we'll give you all the glory. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, the one who gave his life for us.